It was a uh, scapegoat thing. Yeah. That's a that's a term, right? Yes. Yeah. Not just a magic card. It's a magic card? Uh isn't there a what am I thinking? Oh, of? it's from Tempest, right? Right. It's like Volrath getting killed by something. Yeah. Wow, I don't know why I knew that art so well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's yeah, it's not Volrath getting killed. It's a shapeshifter. Right? Escape shapeshifter. Deep into the lore of Wrath today. Yeah, but like, look at this. Like, look at the depth of the characterization and story. Like, this is a storytelling moment. It's like, obviously, there is some like you don't you don't have to know anything about Wrathblock's story here. Obviously, there's some like massive bad blood between Gerard and Volrath. Like, this is a moment where like like it tell it gives it to you, and it's it's like compelling. And also, Gerard's like just a guy. Like, he's really good with the sword, but like he's just a guy. Know, he's just a guy. A lot of the problems with invasion was really really good. But I don't really agree with a lot of the stuff that came before it to set it up as being good. Like, so, this moment is good. Right. But, like, the the whole crew is just bad. <laughs> with the exception of Karn, probably. I think War of the Spark did some of it well, too. I think I was just so, like, checked out of caring about that story at all. Like, it was so... Well, yeah, it's that, just like, the... not important, also. Like, <laughs> Right. Like, the stakes were just stupid. Like, Oh, I wonder if Nicol Bolas will kill every Planeswalker in the multiverse. Hmm, I wonder. <laughs> Who's going to win that one? There was, like, one one person who, like, hates Planeswalkers and magic that was, was really holding that hope that that was how Wizards was going to get Planeswalkers out of Magic the Gathering forever. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to episode 192 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris. Uh, and we'll also be joined by our, I guess, legacy correspondent, Jarvis <laughs> Yu, later in this episode. But he had some scheduling stuff that made him not able to join us for the whole recording session. But the, the point of having him on was to talk about Legacy. So we'll, we'll have him on for that section of the episode. Yeah, we've got to get a little information before our manager tournaments begin. But before that, we are going to spend some time talking about Historic because it is the new hotness. I've been playing a ton of it and it is finally a format that's worth spending some time on. At least for now. Who knows like where it ends up, but it's fun. It's it's really fun to play right now. Yeah, you get to play with all these legacy level cards mm -hmm. in your like standard format. It's kinda it's kinda cool. It is cool. I mean, like honestly, the biggest change to the format is that one mana spells do things now. Yeah. Uh you just like get to use your mana more efficiently and more often. And it makes the games feel more fun. You're doing more. You have a little more control over your destiny with the cantrips of Abundant Harvest, Brainstorm, Faithless Looting. And it's it's not just like it did feel kind of like a clunk fest of like a big standard. So you're doing really powerful stuff if you draw your cards in the right order. And and that's kind of gone from the format now. Yeah, it's especially Faithless Looting. I mean, Brainstorm too, obviously, but... Mm -hmm. For the sake of my 
comet here they're like the same card just like introducing those two cards to the format where you're like you're holding two lands or whatever and you're like you know you can't win in standard because you're just too far behind yep but in historic you're like only a faithless looting and or brainstorm away from actually having a reasonable shot yeah yeah and i haven't played any decks that are not faithless looting or brainstorm or both and i don't see myself playing any decks that aren't at least one of those except for maybe like a hate bears deck at some point you're not gonna play the ponza deck no i'm not gonna play the ponza deck that also that deck should have abundant harvest in it yes it definitely should so like that deck wants that effect more than like any deck i've ever seen it's so crazy that i never i don't see them in the deck list and if you don't know what this ponza deck is it's like a red green mid-range deck with stone reigns and primal commands to get like a mana denial aspect and waking the trolls and waking the trolls right i didn't know that i couldn't remember the name of that card yeah yeah i don't think that is a real deck if only because like multiple of the good decks in the format can operate on like three lands and also because memory lapse is one of the best cards in the new format yeah that is a weird thing that i've noticed is that a lot of people are not putting the cantrips into their decks where i think it's not only something that you should do and is worth doing but it's something that's worth making some sacrifices to do there's a reason that the best decks in legacy all play a bunch of ponders and brainstorms and maybe a ninth or tenth cantrip fixing your draws is incredibly powerful and legacy is the format where mana is at its most premium one mana is a real thing that you're spending in legacy in in historic like it's like half the cost. Like it feels so much more free to cast cantrips. It's also having a one mana card with such a huge impact like that. It really feels like you're cheating in historic a lot of the time, mm-hmm. especially since the rest of your hand could be like magma opus and torrential gear Hulk. And you're like doing this cool thing. that's powerful, but it's like, you know, a six mana thing. <laughs> yeah. that That's actually the deck that bothered me the most to see the construction of it be in my opinion, objectively wrong. I saw a deck list that had two ops and two brainstorms in it, and mm-hmm. like a two or two or three fable passages, and I'm like, now come on. <laughs> yeah, commit. That's still at least acknowledging, like, we can't just draw our cards and hope for the best in this deck. Like, that, that still is an improvement over the lists I saw originally for this deck. So this is a team or flash deck. It's, you know, memory lapse, growth spiral... Nightpack Ambusher, Torrential Gear Hulk, Magma Opus, all instants, some stack-based disruption, and a very powerful draw board clearing engine in Torrential Gear Hulk, Magma Opus, which I think is like a huge addition to this style of deck. Traditionally, the flash decks like can't really do anything if they get behind on board, but that is not the case for this deck where you can cast a turn five or even turn four Gear Hulk, Magma Opus, and just smash your opponent with it all at instant speed because that's gearhook yeah right right and the addition of magma opus to the deck means you now have eight ways to on turn two you can either grow spiral or make a treasure and then you can threaten night pack ambusher on turn three like pretty consistently and that's a huge way of keeping up against you know gruel isn't a great matchup but you have a plan against them which is like yeah my counter spells are bad but night pack ambusher is very powerful 
and Torrential Gear Hulk can destroy your board and be bigger than you can get there. The, the treasures are actually really big in that matchup, like always those creature matchups, because Torrential Gear Hulk, you have six mana open and it's your opponent's combat. Like, well, what do they do? Yeah, I mean, especially if there's a Magma Opus in the graveyard, it's two blockers now. There's like no way to win combat from there. You have to like really plumb the depths of your, your right. brain. So to me, this teamer flash deck that's been my most successful deck that I've played, uh, and I've I've been streaming the format, but mostly like just to give me a reason to play Magic, and it's a little more fun for me to play if I have people to talk to. Uh, and I I've played quite a bit of the format now. I hit like top two hundred ish mythic playing teamer flash. The original lists that I saw, I think, were just, like, betraying a fundamental misunderstanding of how the this type of deck works and, like, what's important in the format. And people are still playing these lists with no cantrip, with, like, f- like three or four rewinds in them, and with, like, four Torrential Gear Hulk Sublime Epiphany. And, like, how are you going to draw the right amount of mana... And not too many six mana spells every game without any draw fixing. And also Sublime Epiphany, just every time I drew it, I tried it for a little while. It was just atrocious in the deck. Do not play Sublime Epiphany in your flash deck with not a, not very many creatures. I can forgive one fun of copy as long as you acknowledge it may not be the best. Sure. Playing two is like saying, this is part of my game plan. I'm going to flash this back with Torrential. You're not going to flash it back with Torrential Gear Hulk in this deck. I promise you. Like, it's that is magical Christmas land. And and you just don't need to. Like, it's not, it doesn't need to be your game plan. No. And I mean, your, your Gear Hulks are assigned to flashing back Magma Opus. That's your most common thing. You take out the Magma Opuses against the blue decks, but in any matchup where the board matters at all that like that's what they are assigned to do and it's good enough like to just have that as your main plan so take out your clunky top end sublime epiphany is really really bad in the deck it was like barely dismissed for six mana most of the time that i drew it if i could even do that and i think rewind is also really bad it just makes you so vulnerable on the stack if they're playing any counter magic at all and the existence of memory lapse in the format means that like you can get got a lot by playing four mana counters well the ceiling on it i guess is high but honestly like putting together rewind night pack ambusher like doesn't happen often enough to make it worth it and also like you win plenty you can win plenty of games where like you would have done that like it doesn't win you that many more games to be able to do it if you counter something and then play a night pack ambusher the next turn that's often good enough still so I think that's more of a like deck slot issue than like a pure power level thing. Because mm-hmm. the turns you do cast rewind and it works are really good turns, but mm-hmm. you don't need to let yourself be open to that vulnerability when the mystical archive cards have so much power introduced into them, you can just make your deck smoother to not have that be an issue. So you do your powerful things more consistently. Yeah. And I just think the rewinds come into play too late in the game based on what the format is about. Like, if people were really casting a lot, like, yeah, if, if if everybody is, like, getting on board really hard and you do need a double spell turn, I get it, but there's a lot of blue decks in this format, and there's a lot of just, like, rewinds in your deck stumble you for, punish you for stumbling on mana so badly, I, I just can't really get behind them. So, I changed the deck up some, my lists sort of evolved, and I kind of posted them on Twitter as I 
made them, but basically Memory Lapse is the best card in the deck, and you don't need too many more counterspells past that because people play around your counterspells, they assume that you have them. Yeah. So I only have a couple more in the main and then many more in the sideboard for the matchups where they're really important. And Nightpack Ambusher is just a bonkers magic card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that card is really annoying to play against too. Yeah. Because you can't force them to play spells a lot of the time because the wolf is so strong. Mm-hmm. So you have to like kill the Nightpack Ambusher first against the flash deck. It's just, it gives so much power for a player who doesn't have to do anything. Right. And and the EOT threat is just one that I haven't really run into m- many decks that are like equipped to do anything about. You're like really safe. They're like, oh, you've got a counter spell up. I guess I have to pass the turn rather than cast my five mana spell. And you're just like, here's a Nightpack Ambusher. I know there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, no one's slip slamming their heartless axe like right. at this time at this point in time. Exactly. And and so that deck is really good as long as people are playing in decent numbers decks that need to resolve four and five mana sorceries. So stuff like the like Mizix's Mastery deck or Time Warp based decks or anything with big planeswalkers in it, you're very happy to see. The more Gruul and Rakdos Arcanist that's around, the less you're going to want to play a deck like this. So I'm sure that I will switch off at some point because I think those decks are really good right now and people should be playing more of them. Have you played against Rogues with the Flash deck? I'm curious how that matchup goes. Yeah, it's kind of a wild matchup. I have only played against it a couple of times, but each time they revealed Lurus and I thought, hmm, they're playing Arcanist. I think I'm dead. And then it turned out they were playing Rogues and I was much less dead. Okay. You have Mystical Disputes post-board. Your Mystical Disputes are way better against Rogues than theirs are against you. You can leverage them really easily against their cheap threats, and if they don't land cheap threats, their cards get really, really bad. And also their threats... Like, like Rogues is fine, because its disruption is so incredibly good. Yeah, talk about a deck memory lapse is good, Ed. Yeah, no kidding. It's just Counterspell. Or... Cheap Counterspell. Like, you get the option. Like, you either get to counter their thing and then mill it, or if you want them to draw it, you just take a turn off of attacking them or whatever and, and let them draw their bad spell. Very good in rogues. Yeah, that I, that I saw four of Memory Lapse in, like, the first rogues deck I saw, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that that's, makes perfect sense. <laughs> yes. I, I think that rogues is fine, but the cost is that you are playing uh, Merfolk Windrobber and Thieves Guild Enforcer. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> Thought Thief is good, though. Three Toughness is a super important benchmark in this format. Yeah, thank God there's no Lightning Bolt. The lack of Lightning Bolt is a key defining feature of the format, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that that is, like, definitely a benchmark that they could... Maybe not considered fully, but clearly didn't want Lightning Bolt as part of the format. And these are the repercussions. I want Lightning Bolt in the format. I do think maybe we are a little bit healthier without it i think that giving like archon of emiria an opportunity to be really good is good soaring thought thief being good is good so i'm willing to not have lightning bolt for the sake of having these like levels of threat that are you know you got to think about it you got to find some room for a braids in your deck rather than just like i got all these lightning bolts yeah okay so yeah i think rogues is fine i think that it also benefits from basically all of the same stuff that like this flash deck benefits from 
in that as long as you're successfully milling them like you can end of turn into the story and not get punished for that basically ever and so it's really similar and you also get to play cling to dust which is (laughs) secretly like a top five card in the format i think Uh, yeah the mainly because of faithless looting i think but the Mm -hmm. graveyard interaction has been super revved up and historic so graveyard hate even like instead of only cling to dust is just so good yeah well and and the fact that it's targeted and from the hand and then stays around so like the the like lsv deck whatever form it's in now but it's the mizix's mastery emergent ultimatum deck like that deck like cling to dust is by far the best card against it to the point that it basically can't beat a cling to dust like it just loses to it and doesn't have a plan against it until they have a bunch of mana for overloading physics's mastery right yeah i mean you you can't <laughs> uh, like that doesn't like how are you going to cast eight mana sorcery against rogues right like yeah so, exactly <laughs> i don't think that i don't believe that's a plan but yeah that's uh cling is a, if you can play a deck with cling that that's a selling point for a deck right now it's great against phoenix it's great against the mizix's mastery stuff it's great against anybody trying to torrential gear hulk it's it's the playable graveyard hate against anybody trying to torrential gear hulk magma opus uh, you don't want to board in rest in peace or something like that against the deck like people keep boarding in rest in peace and then i just play a night back ambusher <laughs> Or just a hard cast thing, too. Like, it doesn't it's, even deal with it. It's still a 5-6. It's fine. And, and and it cycles. It's a very, very low opportunity cost. Like, it's good It's good against... Well, it's not great against Arcanist, but it is serviceable against them. Yeah, I think it's... Right, right. Like, you want all of your clings against Arcanist mm-hmm. because not only do they have Arcanist, but they play Claim to Fame. So you definitely want to copy counter every claim and draw or and gain three life and then ha- still have an advantageous thing in your graveyard like like cling is good against them yeah yeah for sure it's just not like a ko the way it right. is against some of the other decks targeting right. things in their graveyard it is worth obviously bringing in your rest in pieces against rakdos arcanist <laughs> yeah they just have such a huge quantity of graveyard shenanigans yeah i think the thing that everybody has been waiting for is for us to discuss is it Phoenix though? So we should probably sort of take apart and and examine how good it actually is and the discourse around the deck. Where did this discourse come from? Also, <laughs> I don't know. Everybody wants to be like the smartest person and talk about like, oh man, I've watched these streams and like, I, I feel like every podcast that I've listened to, like every hot take on Twitter is just like, man, Phoenix is just not good enough. Like, it's the best deck with no good matchups. But, like, you watch somebody play it. Like, the the other thing that everybody says is, like, yeah, I mean, like, it just looked really awkward. I mean, the person that I was watching didn't lose any matches, but... And it's just like, <laughs> well, okay, maybe think about this a little bit. I, it's just so bizarre to me that the conversation went from, I'm so excited to play Phoenix, to, you know, maybe Phoenix just isn't literally 100% against everything. So it's bad. And I'm like, wait, hold on. So definitely the people that are just like, Phoenix is bad. It's not doing a a, a strong enough thing. It's not like doing things early enough. Like that's wrong. Phoenix is powerful. It could easily end up like poorly positioned. 
every time somebody puts an Archon of Emeria into play against <laughs> you while I'm playing Phoenix, I'm just like, you got my number. I don't really have enough of Braids and Lightning Axes to really cover this matchup. I have like like five total in my 75, but you got Selfless Saviors and... God, it's I hope you not block enough. my Arclight Phoenix without an Archon of Emeria, because that's the only thing that's getting it off the table. I... Watch somebody do that against Zan. They had the second Archon, but it let him kill it. So, I don't wow. Know. Oh, weird. It was okay. bold. But so, the defining thing about the historic Phoenix deck, I think, is that there is no default secondary threat. There's nothing at the level of having Thing in the Ice and Metamorphos in your deck. In modern, when your opponent plays Thing in the Ice on turn two in, a, in the old Phoenix deck, they were heavily favored to be attacking with it on turn three. Yes. Especially if they so. had cast a cantrip turn one. Like, as long as they had Manamorphose, they were attacking with it on turn three. There's obviously nothing at that power level in Historic. So what you've got to do with your Phoenix deck is you have to adjust your secondary threat suite to address your expected metagame which I think is a really cool and healthy and great aspect of the format. Just really fun to do and be a part of and get right and get wrong. There's a lot of different options for, you know, your most assertive, most aggressive one is Sprite Dragon. Uh, you could also try Monastery Swift Spear, but, you know, you run into that problem where most of your damage comes from flying sources and then Swiss Spear just kind of like lets them use resources that wouldn't be good against you otherwise. Or not Swiss Spear, but Soul Scar Mage. You know what yeah, I mean. I know what you mean. The one-two prowess creature in and, the format. Yes. Sprite Dragon is one that I, I certainly lean to, especially if you're playing against decks that are doing like emergent ultimatum stuff and whatever. Like you want to put the fastest clock on them as possible. But there are also times where you want to be more grindy. Uh, Zan started out playing an improbable alliance version with that as his two job. You know, that I think ultimately like he wasn't pretty happy with. If you're in a really grindy metagame, like maybe that's what you want to do. But I, I, I think that you really want to have some sort of healthier clock. I played a version that Mike Braverman won one of the Insight 1Ks with. That was its secondary threats were all... Uh, Stormwing Entity and Crackling Drakes, which it played out better than I thought it would because I was kind of low on Stormwing Entity. Like, turn three is the first turn that you can get back Arclight Phoenix, and it's also the first turn you can cast Stormwing Entity. So I don't love, like, accepting your game plan that, like, this is the earliest that any threat can come out. But he was playing a a couple extra removal spells to sort of like have those be his early plays and then just be like, I'm going to play bigger, harder to answer threats. Stormwind, he can't get fatal pushed. Crackling Drake, you draw a card off of. I, I think if you are as heavy on Crackling Drakes and Stormwing Entities as Mike was, I actually kind of want to maximize velocity in there to give you a little more oomph to push. To close the, yeah. Because you do end up with a lot of mana when you're just basically... When you devote more of your slots to removal spells, you just end up with a lot more mana naturally because you play more turns. Yeah, exactly. You can also go completely off the deep end like Zan has, where he is playing a teamer version of the deck in order to that. play Abundant Harvest and Lovestruck Beast as two of his one mana spells. 
and uh, playing four Dreadhorde Arcanists, and I think he's at two Magmatic Channelers as his two drops. So, you know, he's very grindy and kills them with Phoenixes and Lovestruck Beasts, and it looks okay, but, you know, it's got some weaknesses. So what he's had to do is play Memory Lapse main deck and play more of a card advantage grinding strategy where he can, like, stop the emergent ultimatum or whatever for a turn even game one as he's accruing advantage and finding more disruption or or getting multiple phoenixes into play so there's a ton of different ways to build the phoenix deck and none of them are you know in modern we had like bad phoenix builds for a week or two that had fiery temper and is it charm and stuff in them and then a week or two later we were like okay these cards are bad and we got, like, pretty close pretty quickly. You just play the good cards, cut the bad cards, and we got there. Uh, I think that there that's not the case in Historic. I think the deck will be constantly changing to try to suit its threats to the metagame. And I, I think that's really fun. I, I think so, too. I think a lot of people that say Phoenix is just categorically bad or not as good as they thought it would be. Mm-hmm. is just because I imagine these people either didn't play games with it or just played one deck they found online, jammed a couple games, didn't like it, and then just were done with it. They didn't bother to change the deck. Yeah. But that's like the whole thing about this format right now. Is that it's, it's brand such... new and it's constantly <laughs> in flux. There's new stuff every hour. Yeah, so just if you don't like the Phoenix deck you're playing, change it. You don't have to go as deep as Xan did, but you can. Mm-hmm. And that's not bad. That's just exploration. Yeah. I mean, changing decks is hard. It's not in everybody's skill set, and not everybody has to have that as part of their skill set. I agree. But I will say, if that's the kind of person you are, like you don't want to tinker with decks or devote the time, the resources, whatever, mm-hmm. I don't think you're then allowed to push narratives that it shouldn't be worked on. <laughs> right. I agree. Because because you're making evaluations that are outside of your skill set at that point, then. Yeah, right. And and there's certainly like metagames where no version of Phoenix will be good. Mm-hmm. The Hate Bears deck right now that I, I have seen, it is playing like a lot of kind of hateful stuff that just all sort of it incidentally turns out like are insane against Phoenix. Like I played it against a version that main deck had Archon of Emeria, which is good against everybody. Archon yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, it's very good. So, you know, no, absolutely no shade to anybody who's trying to maximize their chances of having an Archon of Emeria in play. We'll talk about that deck or, or the, that type of deck in a little bit. But it had Archon, it had Thalia, it had uh, Selfless Saviors to protect those things. That all makes a lot of sense to me. But it also had Declaration in Stone as its removal spell. It had Main Deck Containment Priest. And it had, God, one more thing that absolutely destroyed me and I just wasn't able to beat. And I, I, I can't even remember it now. But it was... Thalia? I mean, they had Thalia, yeah. But it, there was one more thing that was even surprising to me that they had and just, like, really screwed me up. If people are playing decks like that, you should not play Phoenix. You should you should play something else. You should play, like, probably Gruul or something that just has bigger creatures than them and they can't do anything about. Mm-hmm. Just force them to use up all of their Skyclave Apparitions. Yeah, and, and Skyclave Apparition is 
the only good card in that deck against the like creaturey decks, and I think they're just hoping to have as many as possible in order to keep up. And Gruel is a real deck. Gruel is Gruel is still good and historic. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think it has a fast enough clock and just does really good stuff. The good versions of that white deck, I think the ones that did well in the tournaments this past weekend, are Collected Company decks. I would highly recommend... You don't have to play Llanowar Elves, but I would highly recommend playing Collected Company in these decks. I think it just, like, is fantastic, gives you some amount of instant speed play against the control decks and the your good cards you want to get to, and they happen to cost three mana because they're Archon and and Skyclave Apparition. So It also gives you access to both Lovestruck Beast and Scavenging Ooze, which are really good cards. Agree, yeah. Yeah, I am in my, my flash build right now, I'm playing Lovestruck Beast in the sideboard because it's the best card against the Gruel decks. Yeah, exactly. And if you can just play that in your main deck as part of a collection company, Mm -hmm. just in your deck you're you're golden you're good to go yeah and that deck does have additional one ones in the selfless saviors so mm -hmm. you're you're pretty decent at attacking with love struck beast too and you know that that gives you a big aspect of some muscle that the the mono white builds just don't have access to so you know we can kind of break the format down into a couple of categories right now everything's going to change by the time you hear this podcast though this will probably all be wrong might be wrong tomorrow <laughs> yeah definitely but so there are, you know, there's a few different aggro decks and that's cycling, gruel, and sort of like various versions of red aggro decks with burn, usually with white for lightning helix and maybe lumamancer. Lightning helix is the best burn spell and you get 12 duels, so you might as well. Aggro decks are fine. Like there's nothing wrong with the aggro decks right now and I, I don't know what will end up being the best. I kind of like gruel just because it's, it's consistent consistent not that much slower at just like gold fishing than the red deck and its creatures are big enough that it rumbles well with the other creature decks so and, and girl spellbreaker is just a really really good card <laughs> and that's trample yeah i it's just really good and those are trying to go under the kind of big spellish decks and I think that nobody has quite figured out the Time Warp deck, but some people have come close. I like Memory Lapse in it. I don't know exactly what people are, are doing not playing Memory Lapse in their versions. <laughs> well, you you get so entranced by the idea of playing as many variants of the card Time Warp as you can that you forget other cards exist. So I, I get it. Memory Lapse is a Time Warp, though. It's just a two-mana Time Warp. No, it doesn't stop your opponent from attacking like Hazel falling though. Yeah, true. The stack is generally more important in this format than the combat step. The at, at, this, at this point, yeah. Can't compare a zone to a, like, non-zone. That's weird. I guess. I mean, the battlefield matters in that, like, like, you're generally fighting over permanence on the stack, kind of. I, like you're fighting over like gear hulks and I guess scholar of the trove doesn't count as that because when when you cast an emergent ultimatum in historic you just win the, the game the is game over, over yeah it, it, like it is not like in standard where you have a, a couple of turns to draw the burn spells or whatever like the game is done but yeah the stack is important in the format and a lot of the decks are doing their stack stuff at sorcery speed and it's really exploitable 
So I am not excited to play any deck that is casting right now Mizzix's Mastery or even Time Warp, Unburial Rites, Indomitable Creativity. Like These are really cool effects. And like, I certainly played the Andrew Jessup Indomitable Creativity deck <laughs> like day one of the format. But you don't need to be doing that to be doing really powerful stuff. And you don't need to be like tapping five mana in your main phase. It's just a really good way to die in a pseudo mirror against somebody that's doing the same thing. Or just, like, find yourself getting destroyed by memory lapse. Yeah, I don't... I, maybe there's a way to do time warp stuff, because... So, I'll talk about all the other cards other than time warp first. I agree. I, those are too slow and too exploitable by different stuff. Not mm -hmm. just memory lapse, but even the presence of Clink to Dusk, like we talked earlier. I don't think well, you can afford to be vulnerable to both of those things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's just... You don't want to be in a spot where you untap on turn four or even turn three sometimes with a treasure token and you're like can i do this is this if i play this and get it countered will i be able to do it the following turn is that my too far behind by then that's just not a question you want to be asking yourself yeah yeah T time warp specifically i'll caveat that much like phoenix i think it's a deck that you need a lot of deck building stuff to do with mm -hmm. and when you when you're casting Mizzix's Mastery or Unbarrel Your Rights or something, you're getting really far ahead, but you aren't winning the game. But typically, when you cast Time Warp and Resolve it, you do win the game. So that one I'm a little more forgiving of. Yeah, yeah, and and it would be the case that I'd be more forgiving of the like Emergent Ultimatum stuff, but because that is also vulnerable to cling to dust and graveyard hate, you know, that's just too many axes of vulnerability even though it's very powerful when it happens. It, it pretty much all, everyone always has an answer to it, and there is much more limited answers to Time Warp. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Even though I don't... I'm not... This makes it sound like I'm, like, really advocating for Time Warp. I'm not really. It's just, I, if you want to do something, that's the closest one, if you want to just slam something big. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I'm not really into slamming anything big in this format. Oh, also, Dovin's Veto is an incredible <laughs> card in this format right now. Because most of these decks that are casting these big things, like, they can protect themselves against Counter Magic Postboard with Mystical Dispute. They're all blue decks. But uh, th th that don't work against Dovin's Veto. Yeah, I, I still am not sure ever since that card was printed whether I hate it or like it. Just not sure. I, me neither. I, I don't know. But you can't avoid the fact that it's really, really good at this type of job. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, let's see. A couple of topics to touch on. I think the Magma Opus Gear Hulk Synergy is here to stay. I think in this format, it's just a really powerful thing that's going to be a key part of the format and makes up for specific weaknesses of the types of deck that want to play Torrential Gear Hulk anyways. I mean, this wasn't a hard call because it's mm -hmm. like most of what everyone thought when they saw Magma Opus. It was the first thing I thought of when I saw Magma Opus, and I'm not a Torrential Gear Hulk guy. Right. But it, it's nice getting to play with Torrential Gear Hulk again for the people who like that card because it's yeah. really strong. Yeah. One word of advice for anybody picking up one of these like Magma Opus decks, uh, the, the Flash-based ones, which are the ones that I think are... The that's best. the best way to do like, this like, yeah go ahead I uh, I, interrupt you. well i just want to let you know that you should board out your magma opuses against the control decks it 
is too awkward to set up, you go down a card to make the treasure, and that mana advantage, that temporary mana advantage, is not as important in that matchup. It, it is important enough against, like, the the big sorcery speed spell decks because you can leverage one extra mana on an important turn really easily. Against the Teferi decks, that's less true, I think. So you just don't want to be in a position where, like, you draw a Magma Opus, you have to go down a card, and then it's really hard to let... Like, your Gear Hulk's going to be good against them. You don't need to make it extra good. In the controlly decks, like the, the Teferi decks, the mm-hmm. Jeskai ones specifically, the ones that can play Magma Opus... I should in like small numbers just because it having that effect is so powerful i've seen a lot of lists with that mm-hmm. and it's pretty nice uh, it doesn't come up very often because you just try to play in a normal game most of the time mm-hmm. but that interaction is so powerful that it seems crazy not to include yeah and in those decks you can also cast a magma opus with a teferi untapped too i guess but you can but you don't really, you rarely you don't do. need it at that point anyway like yeah, you cast it turn nine or whatever at the end right. of their turn sometimes but you don't just go to your turn six float mana and tap out to do your thing that's just no nah I, unless they have a board and you are destroying their board and uh, that's the other thing about magma opus that i was really impressed by i played against an improbable alliance deck just got flooded horribly horribly flooded and on like the last turn before it became just like completely untenable i was just like i gotta draw magma opus here that's the only thing that saves me and i drew it and i killed four tokens (laughs) and i put my creature into play and then off of the magma opus i drew a torrential gear hulk so the next turn i flashed back my magma opus killed four more tokens and then it was just like the the game was swung you know no flash deck in the history of magic could have swung the game the way that casting a magma opus and then casting another magma opus did well yeah eight mana spells are good and decks decks that can't typically cast them get to now and it's pretty nice yeah um brainstorm as good as advertised not as good as legacy brainstorm but there's a lot of room for a card to be very good and it is worth making your mana base slightly suboptimal. Like maybe if you were trying to make a perfectly optimal mana base, you wouldn't have Fable Passage in it in a particular deck. Mm-hmm. Fable Passage is a great land. It's not going to reduce your mana consistency by very much to include the basics necessary for it and include Fable Passage. And the number of games where I have brainstormed away two lands and shuffled my library and it saved me is with like four or five different decks. Like Brainstorm's really good. Yeah, include Fable Passage in your deck with Brainstorm. Like, yeah. Also, I think we made this point earlier, but Brainstorm walking is not a reason not to play the card. No. It just lets you know you're going to lose faster. Right. Saves you time. Yeah. It's, all it, it's like it's like thought-seizing your opponent and seeing their, or duress, I guess, as just seeing their hand of all creatures that you can't beat. You just know you can concede. You can go to the next one. Yes. On a similar note, Abundant Harvest is very, very good. And, you know, if it it has a lower requirement of things to include in your deck to make it good, just being able to choose, influence the number of lands versus the number of spells you draw in a game is, it's really strong. It's like most cantrips that let you cheat on mana, like the Mm -hmm. the classic Xerox thing where you go down in lands because you can go up on cantrips. But this one guarantees that you'll always find a land if you want to. Yeah, the number of one-landers with an abundant growth and then, like, 
like one land abundant growth st strategic planning like you know you're gonna get there you know that you're fine and it's yeah. a good feeling and it's abundant harvest abundant oh, yeah. growth is the cat the that's, other cantrip that's, the, that's not nearly that's the yorian good. card yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna get me the whole time too because that's a card that's been around for a while and this one's based on like abundance or something from Urza's. Oh, right. Because you name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the beginning of your upkeep or drill step or whatever, you right. get to do the cantrip effect every turn. Right. You get to. It, it replace, basically replaces your draw step with this cantrip effect, is, is mm -hmm. how that card works. But, so this is the small version of it, which is way better. A much better card. <laughs> well, you go down in mana cost, you get up in value, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's a million things to talk about with Historic, but I think that's a pretty good overview. There's a lot of experimentation to be done, but I, I just kind of wanted to go over, like, what I think is good. Also, I can't emphasize enough how good Archon of Ameria is. You can't emergent ultimatum with it in play. You can't Mizzix's Mastery with it in play. It beats up on cantrips. Like, you can't cast a cantrip and then the spell you found with it in play. It's really gross. <laughs> that card is so unassuming. But it is just backbreaking every time I see it in play. I know it. It just seems kind of unfair, but it's not doing anything unfair. No, it's just like you got to play by the rules, the rules of magic, which are play a spell that's equal in CMC to the number of lands you have in play each turn. It's like the the rules of kitchen table magic. You get one land per turn, one spell per turn. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's good enough. And your land comes with tapped if I don't like it. Yes. Mine don't, though. I can play non-basics. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Well, should we get Jarvis in here to talk about some legacy? Yeah, let's let's transition. Yeah. So, moving on to legacy, our uh, eternal correspondent, Jarvis Yu, has joined us. Hey, Jarvis. Hello. Uh, happy whatever week it is. I guess it's April, the week of April 20th, actually. It's a blazing day. It is April 20th, in fact, so... Honestly, the best holiday in April, because there's just a lot a lot of bad ones. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a huge April Fool's fan. I just stay off the internet on that day and don't trust anyone. Yeah, the gap in quality between April Fool's Day and a day to hang out with your friends and smoke weed is... Uh, <laughs> that's an enormous difference. Right, right. So, Jarvis, what can you tell us about Legacy? Has Witherbloom Apprentice broken the format are we chain chain of smog mages now is that what's happening so i think it's a little bit more complicated than that because i think you know <laughs> well, no the, no way more complicated than that <laughs> yeah the the cascading effects of the ban i think we're still sort of being figured out then strixhaven got thrown in is sort of how i feel about the format like it's unclear to me what the best uro shell still is so you have sort of a weird uh confounding factor of People trying to play Uro decks and people being like, okay, can we play Uro and Witherbloom Apprentice and Chain of Smog? Which mm -hmm. I sort of attempted to do to some varying amounts of success. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get the elephant out of the room. It's not Underworld Breach. And I think that's for the best. It's more Splinter Twin than un Underworld Breach. Mm -hmm. uh, which is, I think it's something you can do and it'll do its thing like pretty consistently but it also has a lot of vulnerable angles of attack so like for, lightning bolt yeah for, for the people on the podcast um i guess if you haven't seen this combo it's a friend combo that actually a lot of people knew about from commander with Rao Rao storm conduit 
you could have sort of, sort of do the same thing and it would deal infinite damage. You're going from Grixis to black green for the combo to be self-encapsulated. So going from three colors to two makes it a lot more playable. And basically the way the combo works is it's a black green 2-2. It says Magecraft, uh, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So um, you cast Chain of Smog turning yourself and then you discard two cards. Then you can copy it. You target yourself. You discard two more cards. Eventually you have no more cards in hand and then you can just start clicking yes and same targets and stop having to click discard two cards. So you really want to thought seize your opponent before starting this process <laughs> well, is the also, key Well, also you here. really want to make sure they don't have a source of plowshares or a force right. of whatever. Basically all of the forces are good. Not force of despair, I guess. But uh, yes, you do not want them to have cards that interact with you on your turn. Uh, any Basically anything works, except for like Slaughter Pact or weird ones. Even Submerge is good enough. And I've also seen someone get uh, Viled in Flicker Wisp mid-combo after they've Oh my god. Ready. So basically, this is really fragile. It is Splinter Twin. But here's the flip side. Similar to Splinter Twin, there's so many black-green decks you could put this into that have varying degrees of aggressiveness or controllingness. And mm -hmm. I think that actually can make the deck more difficult to play against because first off you have to identify which of those what 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 part of the spectrum are they on are they like turbo combo we like belcher style or are they just a control deck that happens to have like three chain of smog and three wither bloom apprentice and then it's really hard to play against those two different extremes because sure. they do very different things somewhere like Okay, how do you play against Cryptic Man Splinter Twin as opposed to, oh, I have Museum Skin and Pact Negation and Spell Skite all in play Splinter Twin? Those are two very different experiences as well. Gotcha. Sure. How big of a downside is putting the Apprentice and like the Chain of Smog just in your legacy deck? Because you have to consider the amount of slots you're willing to dedicate to pretty bad cards in Legacy. My experience is I think the Apprentice is a lot better than the Chain, which is not surprising. I've found the chip life gain and damage to be relevant a reasonable amount of the time, actually. Because, especially when you start to layer the Apprentices in multiples, getting a free Siphon Soul every time you cast, like, a Ponder is not irrelevant. Especially for someone casting, like, Chain Lightning or Forked Bolt or something like that. I, I think the Apprentice by itself is actually okay, but... Uh, Chain of Smog, well, it really only does one thing, and it's it's not good. <laughs> I, that's all. Uh, I, I actually did have some situations where I cast Chain of Smog turning my ant opponent, and if they've copied it back on me, I would just hellbent them, and then surgical their pass in flames or whatever, which is not great for them to be in. So I, I think versus like critical mass combo decks, it actually is a real card. Or if you're a head on board and... You know what they say in Magic? If you're ahead and you just reduce everyone to zero cards, if you're ahead, then you're a little bit more likely to win, you know? The uh, the Armageddon strategy. Yeah, except it's the mind twist both player strategy instead, right? Right, right. <laughs> Which, you know, they, they obviously understand the situation mm -hmm. and then, you know, that turns your Chain of Smog into a Gerard's Verdict, which might be good, <laughs> might not be good. Yeah, so actually... Um, well, a friend of mine who I think will actually play Man Traders this weekend did a lot of the initial builds of Chain of Smog and also tried to make Chain of Smog work before Wither Bloom Apprentice was printed in some oh. really bad decks. 
But as a result of this, he had like he had hundreds of them IRL and like hundreds on MTGO. So oh, he actually God. he actually became a pseudo rich. Yeah. Well, a hundred nair or a thousand nair. <laughs> I I don't know. Like when you can buy like a hundred of or two hundred of them for zero point zero zero five tickets and then sell them for five tickets, that's that's quite it's a an, an enormous a return. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was just like, yeah, this card is bad, but it's from a scarce set on MTGO and IRL. So, um, you know, props to him for figuring out and believing in Chain of Smog before the Magecraft <laughs> mechanic was printed. Yeah, at some point, the ability to cast a spell and get infinite copies will do something. And then you just kind yeah. of like... The resources yeah. you have to lay out to do to, to, to buy a million of them are so small you might as well. Okay, a quick quick quiz for you y'all. Can you name the other chains and if any of them have been played? One of them's really a few of them are really easy. Chain of vapor is pretty easy. Chain of plasma is the red one. Yeah, that's the swans one. Yeah. Swans are Brynar goal. Yeah, there's no way I, I name them like that. <laughs> and there's chain of acid, the green one, three and a green, destroy target, non creature permanent, then you can chain it back. And then mm -hmm. there's Chain of Silence, I believe the name of it, which is white. And I believe it like kills an enchantment, but don't... It was so bad that it's really hard to remember that one. I mean, it's the white card in a cycle, right? It prevents all damage target creature would deal that turn. They can sacrifice a land to copy it. So it's it's a, like the worst prevention effect. You can never like win a combat this way because they can no. just prevent the damage your creature is doing. This one is... Uh much worse than all of the other ones that's atrocious and uh ch I, I think chain of smog was bad until basically this happened so you know props to that all joking site i really think the other elephant in the room with regards to legacy is still our favorite titan giant from theros beyond death Uro titan of nature's wrath it's mm -hmm. it's kind of weird because i think people have kind of figured out that rug delver may not be the correct place for the card but they're trying to figure out what decks can play it because it has a really restrictive mana cost still without being mm -hmm. able to be able to free roll arkham's astrolabe or you know do something like play prophetic prism which i would not recommend or i did point out to honorog that there is an arkham's astrolabe that doesn't draw you a card from plane shift uh-huh it's Mana Silex. Mana yeah, Silex. It's Silex. <laughs> we all know that card. The, the, the problem is, it doesn't cycle, so it's it's just a bad card. I remember uh, drafting that card and it being wildly unplayable. Even in Invasion Block Limited, yeah. where like fixing your mana was impossible and necessary, you still can't spend a whole card on filtering a mana. Also, didn't they reprint it in, like, Conflux or something, and it was equally unplayable? Well, no. Conflux had much better mana fixers, that's the issue. In Invasion Block, it was still really, really bad, but sometimes you had to play it. I think you never had to in Alara. Yeah, uh, well, also the best fixers in Invasion were secretly all blue. Remember Dream Dream Thrush and Tidal Visionary? Which also could Rashad and Port your, Rashad and Port your opponents, yes. which was just like, what? Why... If you all want to go look up some really obscure comments from Invasion Block that mess with people's lands or fix your own mana, Tidal Visionary and Dream Thrush are just the random blue creatures that mess with people's basic lands for whatever reason that they had the justification for doing that back then. Don't forget about Sea Snid. Oh yeah, 5 mana 3-3 three, three, where the word Snid came from. Mm -hmm. 
Not um, a lot of snids in magic. Not a lot of actual snids in magic, but plenty of, quote, snids in magic. Yeah. Anyways, um, Uro, I, I think you're going to see a bunch of Uros, and they'll typically be in slower decks, maybe even focused around Carpet of Flowers, even though, like, I do expect the craze of playing main deck Carpet of Flowers to fade out by this tournament. Um, the problem is if you draw Carpet of Flowers for someone casting, like, we were playing Ancient Tomb and Chalice of the Void, well, that's really something you don't want to do because, like, even if you get to play it on the play, well, they don't have any islands in their deck, so you've just, you know, you have a dead card. Do you think the amount of Delver is going to go down from our, you know, Dreadhorde Arcanist yes, Oko yeah, days? Yeah. yeah, I don't think it'll be, like, well, what do you think it was, like, 33% at its peak? God, maybe. It, it was high. <laughs> I, I think... It, it, I think between it and the the Uro deck of the format of the time, mm. I think those two decks combined were like 70% of the format. Okay, yeah. I would expect like Delver plus Blue Piles to be maybe 40%, which is still, if you think about it, that's still really high. And if it were any other format, people would scream for, oh, let's ban something out of all these decks. But it... Forsyth has gone on record that saying this is the brainstorm format. We're not touching that card. This is mm-hmm. what people like to do. Same for Mishra's Workshop and Vintage. They've they've gone on record on that. You can't touch them. I think there would just be a mass exodus from the format, and they they realize that, so they just let it be. Well, they also like <laughs> restricting Mishra's. Actually, I I I have no idea how restricted list finances work so i don't even know if if restricting misha's workshop would affect the price of that card at all so well it quadruples the supply first off yeah <laughs> but also if you check mt the wikipedia article the mtg wiki article on bnr at one point workshop was restricted in vintage then they mm. unrestricted it but i think mm. it was before mirrodin or whatever was printed so sure and like I, I think mirrodin the original mirrodin was probably the straw that broke the camel's back in a lot of ways because it was just another set full of artifacts, some of which were really powerful. And specifically, I think Trinisphere and Darksteel was probably a real, real killer. Um, yeah. But, well, yeah, being able yeah. to workshop out an artifact that just says, like, mm-hmm. your opponent can't cast spells. Like, yeah, that's, I, a, that's a difference maker. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll see, like, more than 40% blue. But, I mean, obviously, that's still really high. And I think you'll get a quite a bit of variety in blue decks. Like, I don't know if you know this, Musasabi, probably going to play Team or Food Chain, if I had to guess, uh, for a lot of reasons. I actually tried his deck as well, and uh, the same friend who played Chain of Smog also tried his deck, and I think maybe qualified with it. Um, but he, he, he can switch at a moment's notice. He actually, the person I'm referring to actually lost playing for top eight of like CGPs in Europe with ANT. So he has a quite a wide range. Mm-hmm. What is uh what is red for in Fuji? So the version we have, you have one Squeedo Mortal, which works the same as Eternal Scourge. We don't okay. play Eternal Scourge and we play Imperial Recruiter, which which can find both halves of the combo, which is Walking Ballista or Squee. So in, in this deck, the way we have, the way Musasabi built it originally, we actually did copy his list initially and fixed a few of the things that were kind of weird. But, you know, it's sometimes hard to figure out what he's thinking. But a nut draw you could hypothetically have is turn one birds, turn two food chain, play scavenging ooze, play recruiter, play 
squee off the recruiter that you find, play another recruiter, kill with Walking Ballista. Food yeah. Chain's kind of a broken card. Like, I mean, that, obviously that's the absolute nuts, but I think having that axis of a combo kill, similar to the Wither Bloom Apprentice thing, makes some of your really bad matchup for blue decks like Cloudpost or whatever into extremely good matchups because those decks really can't interact with the combo most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Especially creature-based. Right. It does make me happy that there is a legacy deck that plays Birds of Paradise. Like, that's nice. Uh, there's a few, like, I mean, it, Abzan or, like, Naya, Knight of the Reliquary Knight decks the typically Reliquary, play yeah. Noble Hierarch and Birds in some number. It depends on the variant. Especially the four-color versions that play Punching Fire and Black Cards definitely play four Birds, because I think your mana is so stretched that you can't... Although I, I, I've seen those versions falling out, mostly because I don't think Punching Fire is terribly good anymore. They mostly just play, like, Plows and maybe like abrupt decay and they call it a day well and certainly the less delver there is around the the worse punishing fire is going to be although i guess like dreadhorde arcanist not existing means there's like not this like three toughness threat that just like kills you if they untap with it so i who knows what the the calculus ends up being there yeah, it's pretty difficult to figure out. Cool cards that I've been slipping into Legacy, maybe... I mean, originally they were in Legacy, but they've sort of resurged after the ban. Hex Drinker is a big one now. You yeah. see a mm. couple of Hex Drinkers in a lot of decks. I think this is a lot of um, cross-format breeding as well because of Gold Ducat, the Jun Shadow thing. I think people were just like looking at it, like, what can we replace Arcanus with? And even at a GP Atlanta, I actually played a pair of Hex Drinkers in the Ren and Six era. But Ren and Six plus Hex Drinker makes so much sense because you just have infinite lands. So you, you know, your rug deck can actually just, you know, make a mini Progenitus, which is a really powerful effect. The other side of that coin is you don't have to worry about your Hex Drinker getting Ren and Six anymore. But Right. That was actually a liability, but I, I mean, I still played the card because it was a one drop. Like, if it, if it dies to your Ren to opposing Ren sometimes, so be it. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, then it's great. Um, and you that curse is excellent versus fair decks because, like, once you get two, three counters on it, plows out, decays out, you're basically restricted to Council's Judgment or to Fairy 3 or, like, a Sweeper. And then once it gets to 6, then, like, it's really, really, really just going to kill the opponent before anything happens. Basically nothing. It, it, it is almost mini progenitus status at protection from instance and legacy and and four four yeah yeah and uh let's let's take a look at other decks Ooh, uh death and taxes how do you feel <laughs> about this one i th- i feel like lee is secretly a death and taxes player so i'm not a death and taxes player because i think that text is so incredibly difficult <laughs> <laughs> okay i would categorize lee as a as a death and taxes respecter yeah i i respect death and taxes I think that is a. It's one of those decks I'll just like never jive with, but I will lose to continuously. Okay, if we actually want to talk about the real lead deck, it's definitely Mystic Forge. Oh, that's I was going to ask about that because I saw this two three weeks ago. I think Casey Lancaster had started it up, and gave it to Kellen or something like that. I I played it in a stream once and. Actually, in the Super PTQ where I did play Food Chain, the team list, I actually lost to Killer SCV in, like, round six in the 5-0 bracket. Um, 
it's kind of weird because I think that deck is very bad for certain cards. Okay, Nolrod mm -hmm. is like the 100% enemy of the deck. Uh, you just never beat Resolve Nolrod without playing Karn Cyanoversa and just making huge constructs. And that's literally, I think, the only way the deck can beat it. The problem is the, all of the cards you could play to kill a Nolrod are just so bad on rate. Like, you don't want to put Blast Zone in your Soul Land deck. And, like, Blast Zone's not even good versus most of the Nolrod decks because most of the Nolrod decks play Wasteland. So you have to, like, charge it to two, not get that Wastelanded, and then remove their Null Rod for three additional mana, and I think that's just... You're, you're dead at that point. You've been tempoed out. I, I I think basically all of the pilots decide, okay, Scooping and Null Rod's fine. We'll just do that. Collector Eve, ironically, is a lot more beatable because it's a creature, so you can just go wish for a Skyboat and cast it. <laughs> and that that's often why you see Skyboat. And remember, even if they have multiple oofs, you use the Skyboat trigger to kill the first one, then you just use Carnet, Crew It, so-called mm -hmm. Crew It, with this plus one, and then it kills the other one because that's that's how Karn plus Skyboat work together, which is really fantastic, actually. Uh, Karn is an excellent, excellent pilot. Yeah, too good, actually. Um, <laughs> well, well, one other thing about that deck is the more recent versions I saw just played a lot of Mesmeric Orbs, which... I think it's actually really smart because that lets you just kill more consistently. They're up to like three Mesmeric Orbs in their main deck instead of just one. Just one. Yeah. Okay. I think they so, just shaved around the edges to make room for more orbs because the Monolith, Basalt Monolith plus Mystic Forge plus Mesorb means you look at your top card. If it's bad, you just untap your Monolith, paying with its own mana. So you basically just mill to good cards and eventually, if you need to get those cards back into your deck, you just flash back an Echo Vions off Lion's Eye Diamond. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the only colored card in the deck, right? Just Echo Vions. Generally, yeah. It's a it's really weird. It's a mono-brown deck that has a four-boo-boo -boo card in it, but it's cheating because it doesn't really cost four-boo-boo -boo in that deck. Yeah, and you always have, like, you can always find a Lotus Petal or a Lion's Eye Diamond. Or a Petal and an Opal to cast on the front side. Yeah, there's there's mm -hmm. a lot of ways to do it. I think the deck is really good if you do not get Null Rotted plus Forced too many times in a tournament. And even if you do, sometimes they just don't have it, you know? I mean, like, I had multiple Forces versus Killer SUV, but I kept a only Forced hand, and I just didn't draw a Blue Source. Whereas, like, if I draw a Blue Source, I probably am okay, and then I, I just died with... I, I, like, forced the first three things, and I just ran out, because that deck Force checks you a lot, you know? You have to counter every Mystic Forge. Well, you have card. to counter every defense grid too, which is super annoying. Mm, yeah. Because true. if you if you don't counter a defense grid, then like what are you doing? Like then you're never allowed to tap out until you get to like six lands or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, your counter spells are all canceled that cost you two cards at that point. So Yeah, that's that's not good. So yeah, that that's Mystic Forge. I think that is what you would register, right? In the tournament. Oh, right? oh yeah, almost certainly. Yeah, and I, I love decks like that. And if you lose to Nolrod, you would just be like, "All right, shrug. That's that's what my deck does." You know, it's that's not... that's what you came to the tournament to do. That's not like a a sign of poor character for losing to a card you knew you were never going to beat. <laughs> yeah, but on, on the other end of the spectrum, did you see that JPA ninety three one on eleven O tear in the Super PTQ that was run recently? I have looked at deck lists, but I don't recognize names. What was he playing? Well, he only plays one deck when he really wants to win his sneak and show. He he's had a lot of success with the deck, and I think if you want to learn or play sneak and show or read about playing sneak and show, he actually wrote up his entire 
tournament in like text form. I don't think he's like a streamer sort of guy. I think he just prefers to keep it low key and write things up, which is perfectly understandable. But I think he he published a report on Haruya recently on the nineteenth, actually, which was yesterday. Um, he won eleven zero, and it was really late for him, so he just asked the DEC if he could leave after winning his top four match because second and first place are identical prizes. There's literally no reason to play the match, and the DEC's like, "Yeah, sure, you know you're gonna lose rating points." He's like, "Yeah, I don't care." Not here for the rating points. <laughs> No, he's here for the massive amount of prizes and the invite to whatever tournament he's playing in. I don't, I don't even know which one it qualified for. Honestly, probably the Strixhaven Champion Qualifier. Like, but it's I. Who knows, right? I, I feel like so few people play Sneak and Show nowadays, though. Like, I rarely ever see it in deck lists. The problem with Sneak and Show, the well, the perceived problem is, I think people think it's bad versus Rogue. And JPA even admits it's not great for Srug, but I think he also knows what the choke points are. And specifically, he like he has a few different builds. His current build has maximum days and two spirit guide. So that's meant to play around the soft counters as, as best mm-hmm. as possible. I've seen him play Omniscience before, but I think right now he doesn't think Omniscience is terribly necessary. Actually, he has sideboard Omniscience, which is interesting. I've never seen that. But I guess that's just for death and taxes or like a Maverick style deck, you know? Sure. Where the creatures don't get it done. Right. Well, if you just put a creature in, you might get Caracas Doubt plus Revoker on sneak attacks. You'd need something like Omniscience to actually go fully over the top, which, you know, it's not that common that you need all of that. So sideboard makes sense. And I mean, in in favor of the deck, the strategy in general is that Delver Mm -hmm. got multiple cards banned out of it like the deck is weaker the deck is weaker but ironically all of the cards that got banned from it i don't think were that good or sneak and show with the exception of well actually i guess oko made it so you could like randomly win versus emrakul games so <laughs> yeah i take that back actually but i kind of think a lot of the time if you tapped out for arcanist jp would just be like all right that's cute show and tell we'll Kill see you. if you're dead right now if you're not dead if i'm not dead to your arcanist right now you're dead Right. Which but is weakening kind of... the deck reduces its representation, reduces sure. how many are at the top tables. Like all right. of that is has got to be good for to happen to your worst matchup. Reduces the number of Okos brought to show and tell. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny. I I think JP would not would say that D and T is not even his worst matchup, even though I think people used to think that a while ago. Mostly because I think the number of revokers has gone way down. Like because revokers so key in the matchup because you need to name sneak attack. So mm-hmm. you can cover them with Caracas. And now I, I don't see that many revokers in the list anymore. Maybe like one or two uh, nowadays. So, you know, I, I think that probably helped him too. And there's also the perception that, okay, how do I beat Delver? I can play like a grindy mid-range deck that kills all the creatures. Those decks are not terribly good for Sneak and Show, generally speaking. In fact, those are like some of Sneak and Show's better matchups. Yeah, makes sense. Some some Bant Miracles probably will sneak in. Um, it's labeled as Snow Miracles on the site, but there's only two Ice Fangs, so I kind of feel like that's like kind of a lie. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of hate it. Just Bant Miracles. <laughs> yeah. With a, a light frosting. Bant Miracles is a lot harder. To, it's a lot harder to play your basic heavy Miracles deck with Splashing Uro when you don't have Astrolabe anymore. What one thing about the Witherbloom deck is I actually saw people playing it in Delver, which I think is kind of weird. 
Because here's, like, okay, Bug Delver, historically speaking, is decent versus combo. What does putting Wither Bloom Apprentice do to your deck except making it even better versus combo? It's sort of like a weird strategic hedge for something that I don't expect a lot of, you know? Hmm. I found that interesting. They probably have their reasons. Maybe the reason is just as simple as, okay, I want to try it. It seems fun, and I'm winning okay with it, but... I have my doubts that that's the correct way to build the deck, the like a bug delver style deck. It is a little bit fundamentally at odds with like my understanding of how delver decks play out, which is basically I want a threat, maybe two, and then I want to line my interaction pieces up against my opponent's cards that actually affect the game until like I run out of interaction pieces and they're dead. It's really hard to fit any cards into Delver, it's really hard to draw any cards that aren't either my one or two threats and then my interaction pieces that line up nicely against my opponent's stuff. And like, I guess Wither Bloom Apprentice is kind of a threat. I guess you could change, but you know, like these are not the legacy level threats in interaction. No, it like Chain of Smog is not him to Torok, which that deck has historically played off and on mm-hmm. in the past. And well, Wither Bloom Apprentice does not kill that fast by itself especially right. in a deck that doesn't have lightning bolt you know kind of have to require multiples to like get good use mm-hmm. out of it sometimes yeah i don't know if you all saw this as well lands has had a mild research resurgence uh, yeah. and i still find that puzzling because i still believe the biggest enemy of the deck is force of negation and that card's not going anywhere people are going to just play it forever but there are a few things that do make it better I think lands is actually okay versus non-boo decks that aren't combo-y as long as they don't have none of the reliquary, which is a very specific subset of decks. But there's <laughs> enough of those around, I think, that's okay. And the blue matchups, I think, mostly depend on how many fawns they draw. Um, and post-board games, you can maybe like cheese them with tracker or choke or you know something in that vein. But really, the, the, the hero of the deck now, in my opinion, is Valkid Exploration. I think that card's really powerful and one of the reasons to play the deck i think the main reason because i i had noticed a lot of more people playing lands for whatever reason like it it felt like it just fell off a map uh the last few months uh and then people started mm-hmm. playing it again and i actually haven't heard anything positive from people about it yet people really like playing the deck this is my take on the situation i tr- I think maybe I am biased too much in the other direction where I look for excuses not to play it, even when it's like okay positioned. But the problem is none of my fundamental issues with the deck are solved, which is A, I think Uro is like horrible to beat with the deck. You have to Karakas it and then like that's not even like really a good exchange. B, the other real, real big issue is Force of Negation is kind of a beating. I mean, sometimes you can get around it, especially with Blast Postboard. And see, I mean, you're still not good versus combo. Your deck can really never be that good versus combo because you start down every game, and yeah, maybe you like win two in a row drawing your like double sphere hand or whatever. But that's not it's not a reliable plan. So right, you're not coming lot. to the tournament. Yeah, like okay, if somebody told you like you're gonna play three combo decks in the Swiss of this tournament, then you're just like I'm okay, not not playing lands. I would pick a different deck or hope to get very lucky and. <laughs> I, I would rather pick a different deck because it's easier to get lucky versus combo with a blue deck than it is with lands, honestly. Sure. I just don't like bringing decks that can't beat 
a, a somewhat popular subset of decks. Just having to win two postcard games in a row is so difficult. Yeah, I've, I've had that issue in Modern before, obviously. Everyone's had that issue in Modern where, like, you start get down game one versus Dredge and then you have to beat them twice in a row and it's, like, kind of difficult. I, I think specifically for lands, if the combo cutoff is not, like, 20% or more, then maybe you can justify it. But if it's, like, around the 20% mark, I would strongly look at other options. And it it's not just combo, it's the Force of Negation number as well. Like, if there's a lot of Force of Negations, I would also be hesitant and it like remember uro i i hate to say it it's still hard to beat uro with that deck it's just caracasing it is not it mazing it is definitely not it that's not going to do what you want it to do <laughs> how how do you feel speaking of dredge like how do you feel about hogak i saw it win something i don't know what something on twitter i saw it win the other day some event um, how are you feeling about hogak i think hogak is exactly fine and it's exactly fine if you expect to play nothing but fair blue decks that are not prepared for you in a post-board game. So it's probably like a 53... It's probably a secretly a Jun-style matchup matrix in uh, Legacy, except like you're not 48% versus everything. You're like 53% versus most of the format, which is fine but not amazing. And I also think that deck... That deck actually hates to play against Uro. I've noticed a lot more. Almost all of the game ones I've won versus that deck has snow control back when that was a thing you were allowed to do. Basically involved me drawing an Uro and just killing all of their bridges with it, and then their deck didn't really do anything. Because ironically, Uro sacrificing itself is extremely good versus Bridge from Below. And Uro burning bridges even before it gets banned from the other formats? <laughs> I don't think it's going to get the axe in this one. Although, like, maybe the, the they might reconsider it in, like, four months or whatever. I mean, Legacy seems to be mostly in a fine place right now. It doesn't seem, like, super unhealthy the way it was, you know, the last manager is trying to Right. I, I think we're seeing regression to decks that were okay before Fire, like, really blew everything up. It's sort of hard to tell because, like, we never had portions of Modern Horizons and portions of War of the Spark, but the other parts of those formats, like, axed. So, like, we're at a weird subsection now. And maybe you'll see some weird fringe decks pop up because of new Strixhaven. Oh, a shout-out to um, Solve the Equation, I think, could be played in Omnitel. Two in a blue, search for instant or sorcery, and put it into your hand. Just finding, mm. having more functional copies of Show and Tell that don't force you to splash a color. Because typically people used to play Burning Wish, but that was, like, not the ideal solution in a lot of ways. <laughs> take yeah putting a show and tell in your sideboard to wish for well i mean like, it, like it doesn't solve it doesn't give you more it, it opened up some interesting like out backdoor kills like spiraling embers plus entered and infinite if you remember that and there was all sorts of nonsense that could happen burning wish for burning wish for overmaster i think was actually really really powerful in a lot of situations because like it's just orange chant for the key for the card you want to resolve overmaster is your expel can't be countered or something like that your next sorcery cannot be countered i believe and it's from it's from odyssey Odyssey. it's from torment i think but don't don't 100 quote me on that i i can picture the art but pretty much nothing else about the card (laughs) yeah really sweet art and you know i don't know i I expect maybe some people to draw to try the uh solve the equation thing and maybe even bring it 
And uh, I did see a weird ant list that sideboarded four Witherbloom Apprentice, but no Chain of Smog, and I was trying to figure out what that was about. It was a Japanese player, so there was maybe something lost in the translation, but he said, I like Apprentice versus Quothis and Veil of Summer. And I'm like, okay, the Quothis thing I don't really get, but the Veil thing I do get, because the triggers do not target. They just say each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Mm-hmm. How does... Trying to just work this out. How does Storm work with by, by on the stack with Magecraft? All the Storm triggers go on the stack, and then all the Magecraft triggers go on the stack. Yeah. So the Magecraft yeah. stuff resolves all first. Okay. Yeah. So specifically, this Ant player had two Fluster Storms in their seventy-five, so you could build a weird mini tendrils kill that way by casting a bunch of spells and flustering your own spells with maybe an Apprentice out and building your own tendrils that way, which is kind of a funny and goofy but i I don't know that something felt off about really you can't justify one chain of smog in your double wish claw four infernal tutor deck i don't i mean honestly the amount of cantrips that deck plays yeah you probably could do a chain of smog but because if you're board playing against hate is just boarding a ton of two twos and use your spells to like drain them you're like not even trying to chain of smog you're just killing them the fair way yeah i guess um, like lion's eye diamond ponder tendrils to deal all the damage at once you know that's a lot of damage for three cards well i just wanted to see one chain of smog just <laughs> just, just a single um there's a but there's other fringe decks that i think you'll see well not even that fringe like i expect elves to show up still really powerful allosaurus shepherds to shout out there obviously um Red Prison is an interesting one, and I think it's had a bit of a renaissance because of the Oko ban. You know, like, now one of your key lock pieces doesn't get, like, incidentally hated out is, like, actually kind of good for the deck, you know? Mm-hmm. There was some weird card that I saw in... Firefox like, Squad? Yeah, yeah, Firefox yeah. Squad. It's a weird polymorph variant, and the first time I played against it, I'm just like, all right... Blah 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 blah. All right, bolted before attacks. It doesn't doesn't seem like I'm allowed to let this card attack. <laughs> I had to read. It has so much text. I had to read it. I'm like, oh, this is just polymorph. Except the average creature in that deck is like a two two for three. But except it makes mm-hmm. more tokens, and then it actually does get out of control. Yeah, I, I mean the point is to turn your goblin tokens into ravel yep. masters. Yeah. Or Simeon spirit guides. Remember that card's still in the deck. Well, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like a, a win more sort of... But, I mean, sometimes you're just, like, not able to lock your opponent out of the game and you're just on, like, mm-hmm. all right, turn two, Ravel Master, turn three, squad, like, muscle you out. Yeah, I mean, it has enough annoying cards that you'll probably steal a lot of wins. Um, uh, this They started playing Hanmar Garrison, which I found really interesting because I remember playing a lot against that card in standard and being like this card is not good enough and it's kind of weird that it's good enough here you know well it's much better in a format where people don't like cast three threes true i guess i mean that if you're in the market for all the rabble masters you can get your hand on that's just the next best one that exists like i i, I was looking at cube my cube earlier today and i'm probably gonna put a Heimwar garrison at because there's already a rabble master and a legion war boss oh, and i need another on. one hold on are you gonna put hanwar battlements in uh i haven't decided yet <laughs> look my dream in that draft format was to do the thing 
Like, to just, like, unsweep both of them and put them next to each other to build the giant stupid-looking thing. The, on MTGO, it wasn't as exciting because it just became the normal size. Because it's normal size. Yeah, and I'm I just like, it. what's the fun in that? That was like, you defeated my fun by by not making it an enormous... I wanted to take up the entire screen. There's a, a, a real problem with Magic Online, which is yeah. that they took out the feature of when you don't have any <laughs> lands, but you have a creature in play. The creature is gigantic. That was my oh, favorite no, no. part of old Affinity. Play Ornithopter. It's yeah, the first. size of your entire battlefield. You have to do play you... it first or else you're not a real magician. Do, do you remember? That was the Pumbles Mumbles uh, big bug screenshot from Good Gamery. The Well, so I was thinking of yeah. those guys are big, if you remember yeah, that the, one. That is Pumbles Mumbles. His yeah, opponent okay. said that. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, he yeah. had used Quirin Ranger to return forest to his hand, so there's just a giant Nettle Sentinel in play. Okay, so I'm actually thinking of a destructive summoning screenshot, I think. Oh, devastating <laughs> summons. De yeah, that's yeah. right. Devastating summons. Sacrifice okay. all your lands. You make tokens yeah, yeah. that are that size. And and I, I thought it was that screenshot that the you know has two giant creatures in play. And mm -hmm. then in the, the chat, the opponent just in all caps types, those guys are big. <laughs> Which... No, it the, the screenshot I'm remembering was Pumbles Mumbles for some person in like, I don't know, probably MTGO Classic when that was a format when we were playing like Elves with Skull Clamp. Oh, yeah. So because literally zero people in our audience will know what MTGO Classic is, <laughs> before all cards in Magic were on Magic Online, like, you know, they had to do the Master's Editions and stuff to get all of the old cards into <laughs> Magic Online. So right. before that, it, it couldn't be called vintage. It wasn't vintage. It didn't have all of the cards. So the like historic of Magic Online was yeah, called. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's actually we're going through the same process, just right. in a very different roundabout way. Yeah, it took and power a long time to get on Magic Online. It took yeah, a while. It did. It took took many years, and uh, you know, it, I mean, and then they finally booted Classic and just named it Vintage because obviously the formats had lined up basically. Mm -hmm identically and you know that's great now people get to play with fifty thousand dollar decks for like 500 i mean the existence of vintage on magic online is incredibly cool and mm -hmm. it, it, that alone should keep magic online around for forever so i mean i hope so but you never know right um so let's 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 talk about some fringe decks you all like do do you have any uh dark horses that you're rooting for I mean, all my dark horses. Maybe maybe the ninja deck, the Thopter. Okay. Uh, what's that, what's that good? Retrofitter Foundry. Oh, Retrofitter Foundry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've often described that deck as really good if it resolves Retrofitter Foundry and kind of anemic if it doesn't. But it is really a different animal when it has that card in play because every it's Ornithopter honestly. or Changeling <laughs> or any Ornithopter or Changeling outcast you play, like if they try to remove it, it just becomes a four four. Or, like, you have to respect the other axes where they just attack you with their unblockable creature and just becomes an ingenious infiltrator or Eureka. Then that will get them more fuel for their, you know, foundry, and then you'll eventually lose to pile 4-4s four or Thopter tokens or whatever. Yep. I really, really like watching that deck play out mm -hmm. because it mostly the games they have Retrofitter Foundry because those are the interesting yep. ones. Uh, that That's my dark horse. I, I think the deck's just perfectly fine. I think the problem with that deck, and you're going to hate me for saying that, is I think it often loses to blue-red or rug-delver decks because 
They're basically the same deck, except one deck has chosen to put one mana one ones and zero mana O twos into the deck, for, in exchange for having really powerful one mana artifact, which admittedly is like kind of a mirror breaker. But the games where they don't get to resolve Foundry, they're like I think they're not very well off, especially since I think Pyroblast and Red Elemental Blast are actually really good versus the deck. Because okay, I'll let you ninja your thing and already blast it is not a very good play pattern for them to engage in either. Right, both of the ninjas are blue. Yeah. Yeah, no one plays Ink Eyes for good reason. It's just not good. Ink Eyes costs a billion mana. So. It only costs four, right? <laughs> it's five. Five. Five, five it's for five? Ninjutsu. Six. It's, this is from Kamigawa, Jarvis. I should remember. That was like the pre-release card, I think, for that for that set. Perpetrators, yeah. Yeah, it's um, like un unpickable in any of the cubes. It's just It used not... to be in Vintage Cube. I know. It used to be in Nobody. I was looking through my old Vintage Cube screenshots. There's some wild cards in the very first Vintage Cube. Yeah, that's fair. My my uh, meta pick, and call me crazy, and I think this only applies to open deckless tournaments, is I think Esper Vile is extremely strong in open deckless tournaments. Why is that? Uh, imagine Death and Taxes meets humans and has kind of a worse mana base than either of the decks. Uh this deck has the following cards in it. Let me let me uh, list some of them. Oh, Depending... I'm, I'm familiar with Esper Vile. I just I want to know why it's better in your eyes than uh. So specifically, open open decklist. open decklist tournament. You know what your game plan is from the very beginning. You know what you need to meddling mage with. You know what you need to recruiter for. It's just I think the deck becomes like probably twenty percent better, thirty percent better, which is a lot. That's a lot of equity to gain given that you know what your uh, opponents are doing. And that's not something you have, like, in a random, like, you know, premier-level event. And you still see people winning with the deck even without, like, all of the free information, right? So my my theory is that I think the deck is actually a dark horse in open deckless tournaments. And it's just, it's, it's kind of, like, looked at as a goofy deck that is inconsistent, and I think probably it becomes more consistent when you know what you have to do in every matchup because of the open deckless thing. Sure. I, I could buy that for sure. All right, CCR, you're, you're a dark horse. Oh, I don't really have a dark horse at all. What? Oh, you're, well, that's we, a cop We out. talked about so many what of about the dark horse decks. We, we talked Come about, on. is that even a dark horse? Like that was a, that was a, like the only legacy deck people were talking about for like a week and a half. So like, does that count as a dark horse? We haven't talked about it yet. You could have said it. I, I I guess, but like we've talked about ninjas and the the <laughs> mono brown combo deck and like wither bloom apprentice. Like, what dark horses are even left? Don't answer that. I know you know you have just like a list of legacy decks in your head a mile long, but painter yeah. deck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but like I'm not gonna pick these any of these like totally random like like one deck <laughs> in in any given tournament. Yeah, the, it, it's kind of weird. I'm going to call it now. Some One person is going to do well with non-lands dark depths, like black, green, or rainbow, or bug depths. I think one person will do well. Sure. And my, my theory is a lot of the lands wins actually come from dark depths, but a lot of people only play three dark depths, so it confuses me. I kind of think that's fundamentally wrong deck building because dark depths is good in all of your bad matchups for lands, which is all of the matchups where you have to race. Oh, and guess what you can do now with Dark Depths? You can sorcery speed it to play around them playing a Wasteland, and your your 2020 isn't going to get turned into a 3-3. Three, three. 
So you can do that, but sometimes that gets uh, brazen borrowed, which is very awkward. But it, it'll always be brazen borrowed, so that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think one person will do well, and uh, I think some people are going to show up with like ant, not do too hot. I just don't think that deck's in a great place. It's kind of weird because I think from a hypothetical situation, the deck should be fine, but I don't know quite what's wrong with it. Or the other storm deck, like I, I think they're very close to being great. Maybe there's like a few cards you can tune, or like, I, I don't know. The theory tells me it should be fine, but something feels off. That's kind of how I felt about that deck for a, a while now. It feels like it should be good, but mm-hmm. just isn't. Whether it's like Veil or Force of Nature, not Force of Nature. That's the card I always refer to Fawn as. <laughs> force of negation, force of yeah. nature. That's a six mana, eight eight. Yeah, it's like the same spell, whatever. I I think the the non ant version, the one that plays Burning Wish and all of the veils, is a little bit better off in that regard. But there's also a lot more null rods than there used to be, and neither did X really want to play against null rod. It's like for as good as null rod is is good versus mystic force it's almost as good versus storm all of the storm decks pretty mm-hmm. much which is kind of a knock against the deck as well i think is what i'm saying especially since they all started playing uh the wish call talisman yeah because i, I know wish, that card's just really good so that's why they started playing it but yeah it, it increases your vulnerability obviously like it, it sucks when all your your artifact mana gets turned off but then it also turns off your tutors that allow you to try and get out of hate cards it's not fun yeah you can it's not grim tutor incidentally grim tutor is in standard and sees no play because it's just it turns out one bb lose three life which to tutor is not a good rate used to be legacy playable not even standard playable by this point which is kind of sad well tutors get way way better yeah, yeah. depending I, on what you get with them i know too. Uh, i was being facetious I, I recently played a Strixhaven draft where my opponent cast Demonic Tutor on turn two, tanked for 45 seconds. I'm like, oh, this is bad. They probably have something broken to get. Then the way the game played out, I realized they probably just tutored for a land. And that just showed how respectful they were. And I got easily destroyed because, like, they just did something powerful on, like, turn seven, eight, and nine because they had all of their lands in play. And that's sort of how the draft format works, if you all are wondering. Just go big, usually. <laughs> that's what it seems like. Well, I think we probably covered just about as much as we're going to hit on today. You know, check out, if you, if you want to see some Legacy, we will be having the Mana Traders tournament this weekend on the Mana Traders channel. Check out Lee and Jarvis, as well as Collins and Anurag in the booth. And yeah, those are super fun. I'm excited to see this new Legacy format. Uh, if you were more into our historic discussion at the beginning of the episode, I have been streaming lately. Uh, I am generally streaming like 8 to 10-ish or so most days is, is kind of my plan. I am never going to become a streamer, but I have found that this is the most fun way for me to play Magic. I don't get tilted when I am hanging out with people, and so <laughs> I've been having a lot of fun. So if you want to stop by my stream, twitch.tv slash ccr underscore grindcast uh jarvis you do stream very regularly too and have been for a while so if you want to tell people Mm -hmm. about your schedule and twitch link 
Yeah, uh, depends on the week, but it's usually some combination of Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Friday's usually during the day because the Fridays I do stream is my day off. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, usually starting around 6 p.m. Eastern until I feel like stopping, which generally is uh, about 2.5 to 4 hours, depending on the day. Um, I can be found at twitch.tv slash JarvisU, and I also have a YouTube channel where I sometimes post other things. Also can be found JarvisU there. We are all on Twitter, obviously. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee's got a Twitter. I am at Lee McLeo. Jarvis has got a Twitter. JKYU06. Unfortunately oh, yeah. not standardized, which I kind of regret. We had this conversation before. We did, yeah. <laughs> It's it's good to have all your stuff be the same thing, but yeah, yeah. and also the like it's getting smaller. People are starting to take things. Yeah, I know. Somebody's somebody took CCR. I mean, a long time ago, somebody took CCR, and they haven't tweeted in like two years. <laughs> <sighs> you have to wait until it goes into public domain. About uh, seventy years from now, they're verified. So, like, I don't think that oh, any sort of cleanup thing is going to happen there. Yeah, that's sad. Oh well, I'll live. Yep. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Really, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, and have a great week. Goodbye. See ya.